Thank you for joining us for this broadcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our broadcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. Take your Bibles and open them back up to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, where we will uh, dive in today and talk about the idea of forgiveness, the power of forgiveness, or or in another way that you might would say it is how do you treat someone who has messed up? One of the things that is so true and one of the things that we need to realize in our own walk with God is we all have the potential, we all have the potential to turn our backs on God. We like to think that we wouldn't. We like to think that our faith is strong enough and our relationship is strong enough and our and even our courage is great enough that in the most difficult time of temptation, the most difficult time of trial, that we would stand true and that we would stand firm. But the fact of the matter is that in our life, if we have a temptation that that tempts us, if we have one of those things in our life that, man, it's just, you know, temptations look good. They do. Otherwise, they wouldn't tempt us. We have the ability to to fall away from God. And and one of the things that I think is important as a church for us to know and understand and to learn is when that happens to one of our family members, when we have a family member who has not just not just had a moment of weakness, but have decided that they're turning their life around and away from God and living in a negative direction, how do we respond to them if they do decide to come back because I know that that is that is challenging at times. How do we handle those moments in our church? Well, Scripture lays out a lot of things, and I'm going to try to to kind of narrow some of those things down from our particular passage this morning that we have that we have read already, and we'll dig into this morning. So let's begin this morning. Let's talk about from our text. Let's talk about the issue. The issue within this particular passage is that someone has sinned and they were confronted by uh, the church. Let's look at verse 5 and 6 together of our passage. If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. I don't know exactly what it is that this person has done. Some people say that this is a continuation of what we read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where you've got a guy that is practicing this really sexually immoral life where he has been sleeping with his dad's wife, okay? And so you've got this issue and Paul says, hey, there's a certain way you deal with this, but we don't get really any uh, indication from from the text of, of exactly what it is that they're dealing with. And I'm kind of glad of that because I believe if we had more specifics instead of just kind of some general comments here, that we might be tempted, for lack of better words, of of using the things that Paul says here just in those exact instances, instead of using them maybe on a broader scale. But one of the things that jumps out to me in this particular passage is the phrase, the punishment inflicted on him by the majority. And that reminds me, or at least takes my mind back to Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is trying to explain to his followers and those around him, how do you deal with someone who has decided that they're going to to live a life of sin or they're going to live uh, in in a negative direction in their life? How do we we approach that situation? Let's let's say for a moment sin here has 
decided that he is going to have a chocolate chip cookie addiction, okay? So sin has a chocolate chip cookie addiction in his life, and it's it's pulling him away from God. It's pulling him away from, do you have a chocolate chip cookie? Okay, so all right, so this is how we're going to deal with this, all right? So it's pulling him away from God. It's pulling him away from his church family. It's pulling him away from his his family, family from his marriage, and it's it's an issue. And so, as as his brother in Christ, uh, Jesus says that the first thing that I need to do with sin is I need to go and sit down, and just have a conversation with him. And hopefully, Lord willing, that that conversation, out of love and out of concern and out of care, will help him see that he needs to let go of that sin in his life, and and, and he needs to turn back to God. And he says, if that doesn't work then you take a couple of other people with you, some people that love him, some people that care about him, some people that want to see good things from him in his life, and then you sit down and, and as, as a group of brothers and sisters, a small group, you, you talk about it some more. And then if you don't, then you take it to the congregation. And there is a time that the congregation challenges him. Some would say that the congregation rebukes him. Uh, there, there's a lot of different languages you can use there, but the, the whole purpose of it is try to get his attention to let go of that thing in his life, this, this chocolate chip cookie thing that's causing him to lose you know, his relationship with God. And, and Jesus says, if that doesn't work, then, then you treat him as if he's a pagan. You, you treat him as if he's not a believer. He's, he's not as, as if he's not a brother to you anymore. And what we see from this particular passage kind of lends the idea to us that that's exactly what this group did, that they followed the instructions of Paul, they followed the instructions of Christ, and they confronted the sin within the church. That is something that is very important for us to do as, as Christians. One of the things that I want you to get through this particular study is there is a Christ way to deal with challenging moments as a church family. There is a, there is a, a cross-centered way to deal with these things that might come up instead of just ignoring them, instead of turning around and talking about them behind someone's back. It, it's, there, there's a way that if we do it the crossed way, that there is a great chance that restoration, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, that restoration is brought about in that person's life. So, so here's the issue. Now let's talk about the result. The result of what happened was that this guilty person with whatever he was struggling with in our story was sorry and he repented of those things. Look with me in verse 7. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that... I lost my spot. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So you get the idea that that maybe this church had taken the, the words of Paul to an extreme, to the point that they weren't helpful anymore, that it was bringing more challenges to the situation than it was helpfulness. It was bringing more aggravation than it was love and, and restoration. And he says, hey, look, you know, there's, there, there comes a time where the punishment, if you will, uh, the, the issue has been addressed. And that you have to focus and shift from addressing the issue to now focusing and addressing the issue with love and understanding. And the reason that's important is because there will come a point, hopefully in this process, that the individual who is struggling, the individual who is sinning, will get to the point to where they say, I'm sorry. To where they say, I'm sorry. And not the sorry of the world. Not, oh, I'm sorry I bumped into you, or I'm sorry that my grocery cart hit your grocery cart. But it is a sorry of, 
of, of truly saying, I, I, I regret what I have done. You see, Paul writes a little bit later in 2 Corinthians, he said, I'm happy not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. You see, sorrow is something that is a part of the process of coming to true repentance. It's realizing that what I have done, what I have said to people, the way I've acted has offended God, but it's also hurt other people around me as well as it has hurt myself and it has hurt my own relationship. And we see in this particular story that's being laid out here in front of us that once the issue is confronted, this individual gets to a point to where he is truly sorry and he repents of the things that he should do. So that leads us to the goal. So we have the issue, we have the result, now we have the goal. The goal is we should seek to restore those who have repented. We should seek to restore those who have repented. Let's, let's look at verse 7 from a paraphrase from the message. It says, Now is the time to forgive this man and help him back on his feet. If, you, if all you do is pour on the guilt, you could very well drown him. My counsel now is to pour on the love. When a brother and sister gets to that point to where they're truly ready to repent, our response needs to be a response of love. Now, we have a habit, we have a habit, whether we want to admit it or not, when people do things they shouldn't, when, when people make bad decisions, one of the most difficult things to do is to confront them. One of the most difficult things to do if sin's got this issue and problem would be to sit down and talk to him about it. There's just something within us that we don't like controversy. We don't like challenging conversations. We don't like for people to think that we're judging them. And so what we do instead, many times, is instead of going and talking to sin about that problem, I'm going to go to Danny and talk to Danny about all the things that sin should do. And Danny's going to go over here and he's going to talk to David about all the things that Matthew said that sin should do. Okay, and we, 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 we have a habit of talking around the problem, but not really addressing the problem. And, and the issue with that is, is that leaves that individual who is, who is, is, is decided to repent. They've decided they want, they want to live their life right again. But now all of a sudden, they have this journey of repentance ahead of them that looks so intimidating because everybody's talking around them, but no one has come to them and has really seeked to restore them, has really offered, hey, look, I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to help carry you through this challenging time. Go to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 6, rather. Galatians chapter 6. And he tells us, Paul tells us a couple of things in this passage, Galatians chapter 6, that I think helps us in this mindset. He says, starting in verse 1, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. How is restoration supposed to happen? It's supposed to happen gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. And I believe that's a good warning there for us because, you know, sin's got this issue with these chocolate chip cookies. Do you know that chocolate chip cookies aren't necessarily my favorite thing in the world? Blair makes some great chocolate chip cookies. I like Blair's chocolate chip cookies. But there's, but you know, you just like going and getting some chips of holy chocolate, like that doesn't bother, that doesn't interest me at all. I, they've got to be good cookies. Some people just like them. You know, I'm not that kind of guy. So it'd be easy for me to go to sin and be like, well, you've got this problem. It's, it's not my problem, but it's yours. 
and you get this spiritual haughtiness about you. And you know, that spiritual haughtiness can turn into sin. And he says, be careful in that moment because your job is to go to this person gently. And look at what he says in verse two. He says, our job is to carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. You know, we get so wrapped up in orders of worship and, and doing things decency and in order. But a lot of times when Paul starts talking about the law of Christ, when he starts talking about our spiritual worship, he uses phrases not about singing and prayer. He uses phrases about sacrifice. And when he talks about fulfilling the law of Christ here, he talks about you do that by carrying the burdens of someone else. You can sit in this room and get all the acts of worship right every Sunday. But if you don't love your brothers and sisters and you don't help them carry their burdens and you don't walk with them in the most difficult times of their faith, then you're not fulfilling anything that God wants you to fulfill. And we need to be a church that is full of that kind of love that will help someone and pick someone up and walk with them in this journey. And I believe that restoration is such an important thing and to help us understand why it's important and how to be involved, we need to understand that we need to forgive others because first and foremost, we have been what? Forgiven. Any perfect people in here this morning? Any perfect people? Raise your hand. Okay, if you raised your hand and you were lying, then you weren't perfect, right? We've all had something in our life we've needed to be forgiven of. And if God can forgive us of our greatest mistakes, then we should find it within ourselves to forgive those around us of our brothers and sisters who may be struggling with something. The second thing is we need to love. Why? Because we have been loved. That's what, um, that's what John says in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19. He says, we love... Because He first loved us. We need to love the way that God loves. And, and when we do all of that, something interesting happens. There's an impact. Okay, there's an impact. And the impact is, is the restoration, um, or rather the disruption of Satan's plan. Okay, the disruption of Satan's plan. Let's go back to um, our, our text. And look at verse 10. So anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there's anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. Now, some, some scholars say that well, the issue that's going on here is an issue that Paul had with another brother, and it got to the point to where something had to be done about it. Um, that verse might allude to that. But verse 11 is what I want you to key in on here. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. So, I want you to think about this statement with me for a moment. We are not each other's enemies. Okay? As brothers and sisters in Christ, we are not each other's enemies. Even when we go through challenging moments, even when we go through moments that we're not quite sure how to process, we are never each other's enemies. We are always an enemy of who, though? Of Satan. We are always an enemy of Satan. And we have, we, to, to try to make sense of things sometimes, we like to put those tags on other people. We like to look at other people. Man, we may not call them enemies, 
but we like to maybe blame them for the challenges that maybe we're facing in a church or in our life. But I think that he makes it very clear here that the challenge that they were facing in Corinth was not because of an individual. It was because of who? It was because of Satan. And he said, you need to understand that Satan's got these schemes. Satan's got plans. And and we need to be aware of those. And living this life of of confronting sin and loving people and, and restoring them, it just breaks his mode of operation. It breaks his mode of operation, which really revolves around two things. It revolves around division and it revolves around lies. Look at Adam and Eve, for example. From the very beginning, Satan comes to Eve when she's what? With Adam? No, she doesn't come to Eve when she's with Adam because Adam could have looked at her and said, hey, Adam, um, that snake's talking to you. Or Eve, that snake's talking to you. Maybe you shouldn't listen. Remember, we've talked about the deceptive nature of this snake over here and how he's always trying to get us to do something we don't need to do. Don't need to do. No, he waits until Eve is a what? Alone. He divides. And then he fills our hearts and our minds with lies. And Satan's plans are always looking for ways to get us separated from each other. He's looking for ways to cause division in families, divisions in churches, divisions in relationships. And one of the greatest schemes that he has is the scheme of lying, of filling our hearts with things that seem true, that feel true, that, that, that seem to justify what we're doing. But at the end of the day, they're nothing but lies. That's why Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. See, that anger can lead to division. And when we're separated from those that we love, Satan has a way into our hearts and has a way to pull us in a direction that takes us away from God. So that takes takes us through part of chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians. We're going to keep going through this book over the next few weeks. But I hope that this is, this is a, a challenging this is a challenging kind of section of Scripture because, like I said, we, we, don't, we don't enjoy confronting things. And, and sometimes we don't enjoy really loving someone and, and walking through trials with them like we should. But that's the church that we need to be. And I hope that we can grow in that way, in a greater way as we move forward together. Let's go to God in prayer and then we'll have our invitation. God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for all the patience that you have with us. I know, God, that there are times in our life where we do, we just mess up. We fall flat on our face. And in those moments, God, we pray for your mercy and your grace. And we pray that we will, that we'll feel the sorrow of, of our letting you down. But we thank you for Jesus and we thank you for his sacrifice that in those moments, give us the hope, give us the assurance that we can uh, turn things around, that we can fix things in our life and serve you in a greater way than even before. We thank you for your grace, God. We thank you for our brothers and sisters here this morning. We thank you for our times of worship, that we've been able to unite together and lift our voices in song, our hearts in prayer, and to be connected to one another through our time of communion. Bless us, God, as a church family. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on YouTube Apple Podcast or your favorite podcast provider. Also, 
We'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again. And until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ, caring,